There's a song by Horatio Spafford. I don't know if you've heard about him. He was a, a wealthy capitalist in the, in the U.S. in the 1800s. And this man went through the crisis and he lost all, that, all the wealth that he had. His life came crashing down. And then he decided to send his wife and his children to Britain for a vacation. Now, it so happened that while the, while the ship was going, and he would meet them later on, so he stayed back in Chicago, but then his wife and his children and his three daughters, aged 12, 9, and 2, were in the, in the boat, in the ship, in the cruiser, and that crashed against a metal uh, a cargo ship, and the whole ship sank. And there was no way, there was no communication in the 1800s, so there was no way for Mrs. Spafford to let uh, Horatio know that the three children had died. So she comes to Great Britain and sends a telegram and says, the children have died, what should I do? This man is crushed. And the man, he catches the next liner and he goes to meet his wife. And he tells the captain of the ship that when you reach the place where the other ship sank, would you let me know? And the man was uh, waiting for this moment. And after a while, the captain told him, it is right about here that your children are buried at sea. So he quietly went down into his cabin and he wrote this song. The song has its roots in pain, but it has its hope in heaven. And it says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows Christ has 
regarded my health let us say it is a shed his own blood for my soul it is well with my soul and it is well it is well with my soul and my sins oh the bliss of this glorious glorious thought my sins not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well with my soul and it is this is the best part this is the best part and lord hates the day when my faith shall be sad the clouds be rolled back as a scroll and the But it was rooted on the truth that the Lord hates the day when my faith shall be sight and the heavens be rolled back as a scroll and the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul Father we want to thank you for this song in which we anchor ourselves this afternoon oh lord god Father for there are troubles in this world 
but your peace which surpasses all understanding shall guard and reign our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus we thank you for songwriters such as these who birth such songs in the doctrine that is found in the bible father we thank you for for people like him who've not just joined words together but they've drawn their wealth from the word of god and they've grounded us who are yet to come even while writing those hymns they had already grounded us because you have foreordained it in such a way we thank you father for life's experiences for they draw us nearer unto you and they make us better and more unto the image of jesus glory be to your name this afternoon o lord god as we continue studying your word i pray that you would continue with us in jesus name we pray amen could i invite you to turn to first peter chapter 1 and we shall look at just the introduction to this to this epistle written by apostle peter unto people who were going through fire now let me give you a date july 1964 ad that's the date rome burnt nero had a lust for building and for building he had to first destroy so he set his own city on fire and historians say that he was sitting on top of his own palace and he was fiddling and he was quite enthralled by the flames he in fact liked the flames but then rome was a very narrow city and the houses were wooden so the flames leaped from one street to the other and before long the whole city was engulfed and anyone who tried to put out the flames nero had commanded that they should be prevented and if any fire had gone out that the fire should be restarted the people were agitated and nero found a group of people to blame he found the christians to be blamed from there started the persecution and the story goes that nero would take christians and roll them in pitch and set them on fire while yet alive and they were used to light up his huge garden during his garden parties and the christians were sewn into animal skins and they were let loose into the arena where wild beasts would tear them so the christians were in a they were in persecution they were in pain and all the feelings all the emotions that go with being persecuted being hunted down fear anxiety stress 
not knowing no where to go not knowing no what to do they were afraid of every every sound every shadow and to them comes a letter from peter so let me just give you a list of other things that come up on a weekly or on a regular basis at least to a pastor or to a counselor for counseling says that my wife who is a noble christian she is going through cancer how do i handle it my father or my brother was was preaching to these to these people who who are poor and who are in the slums and the police have rounded them up and they are now in prison how do we handle this my little boy has got no interest in faith at all how do i handle that i have no clue about how church government happens my classmates listen to junk music and they do despicable practices and they call me a sissy when i don't join them what must i do so these questions and much more are are questions that come unto us as as counselors and the the people want pat answers you see there's a danger in giving quick answers to these there's an inherent danger in counseling and that danger is when the answers are given without a broader framework within which these answers can find their roots that means that there are a bunch of christians right now who want answers they come and say is there a book you can recommend and then when you recommend a book they would ask is there a chapter in this book and then when they when you point out to the chapter they say could you could you lead us to the to the paragraph we are coming down to solution oriented christians with only actions with only directives but no doctrine and the doctrines are what is important for example if you and i were to read ephesians chapter 5 it says that husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and now that is a directive but it is couched in the first three chapters of ephesians which tells you your position in christ first and then it gives you a directive of how you should live with your wife Or for example Ephesians chapter 6 which says that wear the whole armor of God Now then if you wear the armor of God without being in Christ you are in danger of being the sons of Sceva Because wearing the armor of God depends on the doctrine of you being hidden in Christ you being seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus you being blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus doctrines are not just for theologians doctrines are for you and i because these doctrines are where we are grounded and these doctrines are what gave horatio spafford the strength to write this song because he knew that 12 9 and 2 year old children he would meet them when the heavens be rolled back as a scroll when the trump shall resound and the lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul 
So what gives basis to all our Christian answers is the broader framework within which we are placed. Now this is what we should not even run away from. But we have a new generation where we find a solution. We are finding solution without understanding the reason. Now the express purpose of reading the Bible is to find out these doctrines. If you open the Bible and try to find out an answer for your issue, for your solution, that solution might not work for you because you have not grounded yourself first in the doctrine that precedes it. Now that's why if we take a text out of the context, it becomes a pretext. A pretext to preach anything. Therefore, we need to ground ourselves in the Word of God. And Peter knew this, and that's why he says that you should drink the milk of the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 3. Grow in the grace of the Lord and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's the express purpose for which the Bible was given. So if you come and ask me, is there a book? I would recommend this book. Not First Peter. A book consisting of 66 books. Read the whole Bible. And therein you will find words of life. Jesus fed the 5,000. And then many who were following because of his hard teachings stopped following. Jesus turned around and asked, Disciples, do you also want to leave? There was an amazing revelation given unto Peter over there. Not just in Matthew 16. In John chapter 6, an amazing revelation was given. Peter says, Lord, where can we go from you? For in you are the words of life. For you are the Son of God. Therefore, let's start reading the Bible with the express purpose of finding out the intention of the writer in giving it unto us and ground ourselves in the word of God. Therefore, the solutions that come from the word will have much meaning and enduring effect. Otherwise, we would become seasonal Christians. We would read the Bible in season when it is convenient. Rather, we should be like like the man in Psalm 1 who says that my delight is in the law of the Lord, not in the promise of the Lord. Have you seen that? He says, my delight is in the law of the Lord and in that he meditates day and night because he knows that promise will follow. And he shall be like the tree. Now, now meditating on the law makes him like the tree planted by the rivers which bears fruits and its leaves does not wither. So let's couch our studies in understanding why God has given these promises and these breakthroughs which are, which are given unto us. What is the broader framework? And this is the broader framework. The, the, the theme that Peter wanted to address was the theme of suffering, was the theme of persecution. And you and I are far removed from such a situation. Thanks be to God. 
you and I have freedom to carry the Bible and come to church. Thanks be to God. But there is a group of people even now who do not have the freedom to do what you and I have the express freedom to do. Therefore, you and I are far removed from this. Therefore, when we read First Peter, let's understand the heart of the man who wrote it and the heart of the people who received it. Could I recommend to you the reading of First Peter? It takes you 20 minutes. At least it took me 20 minutes to read the whole book, five chapters. And it gives you an overall view, an intention. Why did Peter write? And if you want to know, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And let's look at why Peter wrote this book. And verse 12. What was the express purpose in writing this letter? It is written by Peter with an express purpose as we read in 1 Peter 5.12 by Silvanus, a, a true Brother, as I consider him, I have written briefly to you to counsel and to urge and to stimulate you to declare that this is the true grace of God. Be steadfast, persevere in it. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. That means the grace of God given in incorruptible promises. First Peter chapter 1. The grace of God that is given in the redemption through the blood. First Peter chapter 1. The grace of God that is given in the choosing. First Peter chapter 2. You are a... Chosen generation. These are some of the graces in which you need to ground yourself. And remember, as we study this book, and we are going to study that over a period of weeks, if not years, because I get to preach once in two months. So maybe by 2015 we should be done with First Peter. So whenever you listen to a message... Listen to it in the context of which it was written. These promises were given to suffering people. To the people who were, who were being persecuted. But in the wider context, it is also applicable unto us. Provided we have grounded ourselves in the doctrines that are given. Now, First Peter, the first chapter alone contains the doctrines. Apart from that, all the other chapters contains promises and do's and don'ts. However, these 12 verses are critically important. There are other themes that are addressed over here. But let's just read 1 Peter chapter 1 and we will just do two verses. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers... Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you 
and peace be multiplied notice first of all the writer peter an apostle of jesus christ now you must be wondering what are those two words doing together peter an apostle now this goes to prove that god uses the weak things to confound the wise what is the first things that come to your mind when you hear the name peter now i made a list of few things that come to mind when we hear the name peter peter was a person who was chosen by jesus christ and he was the leader of the 12 apostles every time the list of 12 is mentioned the name of peter is always first there is no consistency in the other 11 names but always simon peter is number 1 two what comes to mind is peter is the one who always spoke to the lord peter for your benefit and for mine is the one who asked questions and we threw rocks at him oh peter we thank god peter asked those questions peter was the one who was even brave enough to rebuke the lord and said no lord it shall not be so peter is the one who is mentioned the most in the new testament gospels apart from the lord jesus christ peter is the one who who became the the first preacher of the new testament church now god chose a good raw material let me pause and ask you do you see yourself as chosen by god because these raw materials in the hand of god god superimposed with his own experiences now don't don't leave don't don't run away from this when god chooses someone he superimposes the person with experiences that means that god gives the person experiences now what were the experiences that peter received number 1 peter received obedience in a boat luke chapter 5 and the lord jesus was there he was teaching and he was sitting in 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 peter's boat and he told peter peter put out to sea and peter the first thing you need to do is don't question the teacher Peter said but lord we've been fishing all night and you are a carpenter i am a fisherman i know the seas better than you i think jesus stared at him because immediately he says but at your word i will let down the nets and there was a great catch and peter received his first lesson on obedience Peter received the lesson on faith in Matthew chapter 14 Jesus had fed the people and he had sent his disciples in the boat he himself had stayed back now it was the middle of the night he decides to walk on water he could have just disappeared and appeared but he decided to walk on water let me take an evening walk and then he takes the walk on the water the disciples are in the boat 
and they see Jesus approaching and their knees become jelly because they think that it's a ghost. And then Jesus says, worry not, it is I. In the original Greek, it says, fear not, I am. Any Jew would have been stunned by what they heard. And immediately Peter says, Lord, if it is you, God is so gracious. He just said, fear not, I am. And Peter says, if it is you. Now the word if can be translated also since. Because we find that in Luke chapter 4, during the time of temptation, Matthew chapter 4, this, the, the devil came to Jesus and said, since you are the Son of God. That's the same word that is translated as if. Therefore, Peter was not talking unbelief. He was saying, since it is you, Lord, let me come over the water. He says, come. And he walks on water. He learns faith. That's the experience. John chapter 10. He learns Submission. John chapter 18, forgive me. Wherein in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter was the one who took the sword and chopped Malchus's ear. I'm sure he was not aiming for the ear. He was, if he was aiming for the ear, he was a good marksman. But then you don't cut the ear of a soldier who comes to take your master. He was aiming for the head, but his hands were shivering. He cut the ear off. Jesus said that, don't you know I have to submit to the will of the Lord? He learned submission. He also learned, he learned humility. When he said in Luke chapter 22, he said, Lord, even if these may forsake you. You see, he was actually insulting the other Disciples. He was saying that these disciples, they are most prone to deny you, Lord. Even if these would deny you, I'll not deny you. Jesus said, is it so, Peter? Before the cock crows three times. Two, two times, you will deny me thrice. And he did. And after that, he caught the eye of the master. Wept bitterly. He learned humility. He learned servanthood in John chapter 13 when Jesus came and put on the apron of a slave and began washing the feet of the disciples. He learned servanthood. That's why he says in First, First Peter chapter 5, he says that, And as a fellow elder, submit yourself one to another. He also learned that God is love and gracious. Because in John chapter 21, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, you said that even if these would deny, you would not deny. Now, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. I love you. He asked him three times. Three times denied Three times reaffirmed, recommissioned, reinstated. Back to business. He gave him the experience of persecution. In chapter 4 of the book of Acts, the Sanhedrin allowed Peter to be reprimanded. 
In Acts chapter 5, he was beaten and imprisoned. In Acts chapter 12, he was sleeping peacefully in the midst of persecution, knowing that the next day his head might be rolled off. Have you wondered why this peace in Peter's heart? He was grounded in the doctrines of God. And it's not just enough that you have experience. It's just as enough that God chooses you, gives you experience. He also gives you lessons. He gives you lessons. And you find those lessons reflected in First Peter and Second Peter. One of the lessons that Jesus gave was that he is the cornerstone. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who am I? Jesus asked the disciples, what do people say about me? And they gave the people's popular opinion. Said that I don't want the people's popular opinion. What's your decision about me? And Peter said, Lord, you are, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, well done. Now on this rock, I shall build my church. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and then he learned the lesson on forgiveness because he ran up to Jesus and said Jesus how many times master should I forgive 70 times the master said nay 70 times 7 infinitely Peter therefore Peter brings that lesson into 1st Peter and he says have fervent love one for another. And then he learned submission to government and authorities. Jesus taught him that because he came to Caesarea and these people, they rounded up Peter and said, does not your master pay taxes? And Peter said, of course he does. Did not know what to say. And quickly came to the master and said, master, do we pay taxes? So master said, listen, who does the kings of the world collect tax from? Said, is it from children or is it from strangers? Oh, from strangers, master. That means that you and I are of a separate kingdom. But, go to the sea, throw a hook, take a fish, take the money in the mouth of the fish, pay the taxes. Submission to authority. And, and Peter says in First Peter, submit to all governments. And to all governors. By the way, that's a good way to pay tax. Go fishing. So, Peter is the absolutely credible raw material in the hand of God. He gives us hope. Because if Peter, who was a raw material in the hand of God, who was Cephas, he had three names in the Bible. Right? He had the name of Simon. Simon means shaky. That's why Jesus says, Simon, Simon, the devil has asked for you. He says, shaky, shaky, you're going to be shaked today. His name was shaky before he came. And Jesus said, your name will be Cephas. He was also called Peter. Incidentally, John calls him Simon Peter. Because he never knew if he was shaky or solid. Throughout the book of John, you find that he is called and Simon Peter. So he was the perfect raw material. 
which is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 29, which says that not many wise are chosen, not many brilliant, not many who are in high pedestals of life are chosen, but God has chosen the weak things, the despicable things, the scum of the earth, such that he can confound the wisdom of the wise, such that the glory would depend on him. Paul says, Paul repeats this, he echoes this, and he says that we have this treasure in jars of clay, such that the glory might not be of the jar, the glory might be of the one who put his glory in the jar. So why am I belaboring this point of Peter? It's just one word into the whole message. I'm belaboring the point because the application is obvious. Because if there are people sitting over here who have been told by the devil that you have messed up big time, that you have failed miserably, you cannot be used. Oh, look at the sins that are stacked up against you. You have denied the Lord. Peter denied him three times. You denied him a three million times. I want to encourage you. The Lord is not done with you yet. He takes broken things and makes beautiful things out of those broken things. Paul said, my, my strength is made perfect. When your strength is infused with my weakness, therefore I shall yet glory in my weakness. So all the weak people over here you have an opportunity of glorifying God. Every weak vessel in the house will give glory to God. Because it is in our weakness that God's strength is perfected. And this is the man who was writing. And the people in Pontius, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Bithynia, in Asia, when they received the letter, they opened the letter. The first word written over there is Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ. And their mind races back to think about all these things. Because many of them would have still been alive. They would have seen. They would, they would have been around. At that time when, when Peter indeed walked with Jesus. And Peter was the one who, was, who, who had warmed himself in the fires of the world. When his master was being unjustly persecuted. And he is the one who writes to these people. And we receive the message in the context of the messenger. Did you know that every message is received in the context of the messenger? And that's the moral of the, chi of the children's story, wolf, wolf. Because the next time the boy cried out wolf, that message was received in the context of the messenger. Now, he writes to the, let's look at the recipients. Remember that. A message is received in the context of the messengers. Let's look at the recipients. The recipients were a group of people who were scattered. They were scattered. They were elect and they were exiles. Peter wanted to bring about three distinct qualifications of the recipients. Then at that time, it referred to the Jews or to the Christians who were scattered in different parts of, of modern day Turkey. That makes them Turks, not Turkeys. 
Okay? So they were in modern day Turkey. And these were a group of people who were scattered. These were a group of people who were elect. And these were a group of people who were in exile. Geographically, they were scattered. Just like you and I, scattered. The Jews would recognize this immediately. They received the letter, and in that letter is a word, scattered, diaspora. Scattered. They would receive that in such passion. They would say, "Mm, Jerusalem is my home. Do you have that passion about heaven? Do you live here as strangers? I like Abraham because when Abraham was called across the Euphrates, the Euphrates was the, was the largest river at that point of time in the then known world. They could not, the people who crossed the Euphrates never came back. When God called Abraham from the Ur of the Chaldees, he had to cross from Mesopotamia, he had to cross the Euphrates and he, he brought everything with him. Do you know why? Because if he had left something back, he would have been tempted to go back. So God called him into this land and he comes there and he pitched a tent, but he built an altar. Are you a people of pitching tents or building and building altars? Or is your home here? A good way of finding out is to see where your passions lie. Where your interests lie, where your ambitions lie, where your hopes lie. If they are earthbound, then alas, you are not strangers. Are you strangers? One of the questions that people come and ask is, I am being rejected in my school because I don't listen to rap music. Let me tell you the answer. If you are a stranger... You will be despised. Whereas if you are befriended, then you need to see who your allegiance really lies with. If your allegiance is with the Lord of heaven and earth, you will behave like strangers. And the second qualification was, they were sociologically, they were in terms of their own affinities, they were aliens. They were exiled people. Psalm 137, the people of, of, uh, of Jerusalem, the Jews were scattered in Babylon. And then the people of Babylon came and said, why don't you sing us a song of Babylon? Uh, sorry, a song of Zion. And Psalm 137 talks about the passion of the people and say that, yes, when we were in Babylon, they asked us to sing a song of Zion. How can we sing about Zion? We hung up our harps. Geographically, they were scattered. Sociologically, they were, they, they were aliens. And theologically, they were the elect. They were the elect of God. And what does that mean to be elect? And that's what the next Three truths is about. Verse 2 talks about three truths. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. You see the Holy Trinity at work? If you have not seen the Trinity in the Bible, there it is. 
First Peter chapter one and verse two. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Trinity is at work in your life. That's the part you say, Amen. The Holy Trinity is at work in your life. The Holy Trinity worked to bring you and to make you sit here on a Friday. Number one, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, the foreknowledge of God is something that people contest. They fight against. They say that, hmm, does that mean that, that I didn't have any part in choosing Jesus? No, sir, you did not. God knew you. God knew you before you were even formed. God gave you the grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says that for by grace you have been saved through faith and that faith not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So you were foreknown by the Lord and then you were given the power to choose the Lord and then you have been saved by the foreknowledge. You have been chosen, set apart by God unto himself. I say the, the doctrine of predestination. Now this is one of the doctrines that you need to ground yourself in. The doctrine of predestination. I was known before I was formed. Now what does that tell me? That tells me that all the days of my life, God already knows it. And all the days, even before one of them comes to pass, He has already, he has already designed it. And He designed it in such a way that at the end of my days, I will look more like Jesus. Now that's the doctrine of predestination. He predestined everything. He made all things with his foreknowledge. Now that cuts at the root of works religion, wherein I have to work to get accepted by God. It says, mm -hmm, it doesn't work that way. Predestination means God chose you, my brother. Charles Spurgeon says that if I knew who God chose, then I would run around the street and pull everyone's shirt up and see if they have a mark on the body. But since they don't, I preach to everyone. Now that's again the, the counterpart of the doctrine of predestination. God knows who he has chosen, not you and I. Therefore we are called to preach the gospel to the whole world. Amen. And God knows who will accept him as the Lord and Savior. And now predestination also puts me in a lot of comfort because it says that God is in control. That's the part you say, Amen. God is in control. Does that give you confidence or not? That you don't know whether my job is there tomorrow, but God knows. You don't know whether my children would accept Christ or not, but God knows. Doesn't that give you confidence? Doesn't that give you the, the strength to face tomorrow? Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. That's the doctrine of predestination. The second one is the doctrine of sanctification. Which has two parts. The first part is that you were sanctified. You were made holy when you came to Christ. That is known as a one-time sanctification. Which happens to every believer. Because everything that comes to the Lord must be holy. God says that my time should be holy. Therefore, He says that these are the times that you should keep yourself holy. God says that my vessels should be holy. Therefore, He says that all these utensils that you make should be sanctified by the blood. He wants everything to be holy. He wants everything to be holy. That's why the moment we come to Christ, we are sanctified. Our old sins are forgiven as it were. 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins not in part, but the whole. So this is the doctrine of sanctification. And the second one is progressive sanctification. That means that the Holy Spirit is still at work in your life and mine. He progressively sanctifies us day after day. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 8 says that, And we are moved from glory to glory. That's known as progressive sanctification. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the third one is the work of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now what's the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ? Three things. Number one, the first sprinkling is the sprinkling of setting apart. Aaron and his children had to be sprinkled by the blood of of the Lamb before they could enter into the most holy place. That's known as a sprinkling for separation. The second one is the sprinkling for covenant. Exodus chapter 24 says that when the covenant was read in the presence of the people, the people said, yes, we shall do all that the Lord commands. Incidentally, any sprinkling is for obedience. Therefore, you have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not that you and I can go out and live any way we want, but we have been sprinkled so that we obey Jesus Christ. That's the second part of, of the work of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, the first sprinkling is for separation. The second, in, second one is for covenantal obedience. And the, first sprinkling, and the third sprinkling would be for sanctification. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us holy. And it's the work of Christ that applies the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus was shed 2,000 years ago. Now, how would you apply someone's blood, literally, that was shed 2,000 years ago for your sin now? You have to apply it by faith, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you have the doctrine of the sprinkling. That's known as justification. That's the doctrine of justification. You and I have to ground ourselves in this truth. And the people who received this letter, they were excited in their spirit because they were now coming to know that the Holy Trinity was at work in them. That even though they are going through the suffering, the Father God had chosen them. Even though they are going through the suffering, the Holy Spirit is at work in them, sanctifying them and bringing them to the knowledge and to the image of Jesus Christ. And three... They were also under the knowledge when they read this letter, even though I'm going through persecution, even though I have trials, I know that the blood of the sprinkling causes me to obey Jesus Christ. And then comes a befitting, a very befitting benediction. It says that grace and peace Paul says grace and peace. But Peter knew that the recipients needed it in great measure. So he says grace and peace be multiplied. And if they read only that much of that letter from Peter, their hearts would have been excited. 
And if you and I read only that much and we meditate on that much alone in our, in our morning meditation, that would excite us because it says that grace, which is God's unmerited favor, which has got nothing to do with mine own actions, but God who is gracious unto me from heaven, he gives abundant measure of grace more and more. As the psalmist said that the Lord will clothe me with favor as with a garment, Psalm 5 says that I will have the favor from the Lord, unmerited, not because I deserve it. In fact, I deserve punishment, but God gives me favor. And the thought that peace, Jesus said that in this world you shall have much trouble, but behold, I have overcome the world. And my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give. What's that peace? That peace is linked to the, to, the, to the work of the Holy Trinity. That when I step out into the world, when the trials of this world come, when there are tribulations that I have go, to go through, this peace shall rule and guard my heart and mind that my God will provide, that my God will protect, that my God is in control, that He will strengthen, that He will edify, that at the end of my days, this peace shall control, that the Lord will take me to be with Him. And this much was enough for the people of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Asia. And even now, even now, this is what guards and reigns your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. As you go out into this world this coming week, and indeed in the days to come, would you remember, would you remember that God uses weak things to confound the wise? That the God's chosen ones are elect, exiled, scattered, not to be influenced by the world, but to influence the world. Would you remember that the Holy Trinity is at work in your life? Would you remember that you have been foreordained by the knowledge and the infinite wisdom of God? Would you remember that you are sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Would you remember that you have been called unto the sprinkling and unto the obedience of Jesus Christ? And would you remember that above all the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard and shall reign your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This assurance, let it control you as you go through the affairs of this life, even this week and in the days to come. Now the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you and make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and He shall give you peace. Let us pray. Let us bow our hearts in prayer. Let's close our eyes. Let's commit our lives into the hand of God. We have heard the word of God this afternoon. The doctrine of Jesus Christ. We ought to be doers of his word. All claiming of promises of God without standing on the word, without believing the word, without doing the word. Every disobedience put us far away from those promises. Can you just ask God for grace?
to be doers of his word. That he will envelope you with the power to walk within his word and not to walk out of his word. Every power that makes disobedient the choice, the natural choice for you, can you just decree over such power this afternoon and ask those power to be no more and that the power of the Most High to be all over you, that you will be able to possess all your possessions in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Mighty and everlasting Father, King of glory, the Lord of Lord, Father, we worship you. Father, we adore you. Father, we thank you for your word to us this afternoon. Father, we ask, O Lord, that you will keep us by your power, that we will fail not in the name of Jesus. Lord, that the word that we have heard today, O Lord, that it will remain with us and we will abide in it in the name of Jesus. Glory be unto your name, Lord Jesus. Father, we worship you and we adore you. We thank you for your servant. We thank you for your grace upon his life. We thank you for your power upon him. We thank you for the fresh anointing upon his life. Father, we ask, Lord, that you will keep him in the name of Jesus. Father, that you will wash over him and his household in the name of Jesus. And that every arrow of the evil one shall be back to the senders in the name of Jesus. Glory be unto your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Let's stand for the grace. I share the grace and fellowship. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. May the power to do His word rest upon you throughout the week in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord.